Hi, Saurabh. Thank you so much for joining on Blitz Business. Good to have you. Hi, Ashish. Great to be here. Thank you for having me. Awesome. Let's get started. So, Saurabh, tell us a little bit about yourself. Um, I graduated from National Institute of Design in 2004. And since then, I've just been doing one thing, and that is designing digital interfaces. Uh, I, for the first 12 years, was working with an American firm uh, based in India. Uh, and then seven years ago, we started our own thing. It's called Zux Innovation. And uh, we are a UX design studio catering to clients all over the world um, and essentially helping them do design-led digital transformations. So in a nutshell, um, that's what I do. Uh, outside of work, I'm also a musician. I'm a very keen um, sports person. Like I'm very uh, passionate about tennis these days. So that's that's me. So basically, sure. you are a very creative person. Yeah. That's what my focus has been for two decades. Yes. So tell us more about your company. How you guys started? What was the problem statement you were looking to solve, you know, because yeah. uh, most of the times the question we get is, you know, how do we even know what to start begin with? Yeah. So you had clarity key. This is what I wanted to do. How was it? You know, um, when I graduated out of National Institute of Design, I kind of fell into user experience, uh, which is what this field is called user experience design. I kind of fell into it uh, because we had a, uh, a program within my course at NID, which introduced me to designing for digital interfaces. And back in 2004, this was very new, a discipline that focused on designing tangible things, which was called tangible back then, like chairs and, um, you know, spaces and uh, physical products. And so when, you know, early 2000s, this whole digital focus started, NID started this first program uh, that led me into this field. And, uh, you know, I joined this American firm, which uh, made me fall in love with this. And so when I decided to start Zooks Innovation, I kind of already knew that I wanted to start in this area. But how was it going to be different from what I had done with this American company? Uh, one thing I was very clear about is that I want design to make a difference, to make a difference to businesses. Something people obviously consider valuable, but they find it very hard to measure what impact design is making, right? Um, and this is something that I was very bothered by in the first 12 years of my career, that when you show a design, people like it, they clap, then you walk away, and then nobody has any idea has it helped the business? Has it helped the bottom line? So one thing I was very clear about I wanted to solve is I wanted to do design in an outcome-oriented way. If you'd help somebody design something better, ultimately it should make a difference. And so our focus became outcome-oriented user experience design. And that's the specific problem I wanted to solve. Uh, so Saurav, give us a sense of what uh, some of your work, what all you have designed? So we've had uh, 
you know, whole eclectic mix of clients over the last seven years uh, and even, you know, before when I was working uh, with, with an American firm. But most recently, I would say all the big banks in India, uh, we've done various projects with them. Uh, you know, a lot of cutting edge startups like Dream11 uh, and Fab India is, is something that we recently worked on. Uh, we've also worked on the Discovery um, Plus OTT app. Uh, and when it got launched, it was um, the highest rated OTT uh, on the App Store. So that's something we're very proud of. Um, we've also done, uh, you know, a whole bunch of work for um, the Reliance Group, the Tata Group, and uh, a lot of work for the EdTech space. Um, so most recently, uh, we, we, we did a learning um, experience design for a company that teaches people music online. And, uh, you know, it was an interesting project for me because it allowed me to leverage two of my skill sets, music experience design and music. And that's a combination that is very hard to find usually. So that gave me kind of a special edge on that project. And after the project got completed, we submitted it for an international award. So we won the Red Dot Design Award for that this year, uh, which is a globally recognized award. Um, and so... That's the one success story from 2023 that I'm very happy about. So tech companies are still coming back or they have cut cut back their budgets? Yeah, yeah. So I think uh, obviously there's been a slowdown um, and a lot of them are trying to just kind of optimize right now, just consolidate their positions. Uh, so right now, yeah, it's, it's kind of status quo. Everybody's in limbo as far as the edtech space is concerned, but... Um, you know, I think in the last six months, we've worked more with large incumbents than with, um, you know, startup challengers because of the way the startup environment has been. And you guys have raised any funding or it's kind of a business which don't require funding? Like, give us a sense of... Um, so we are a privately held uh, company so far. It's completely bootstrapped. Uh, um owned by me and my co-founder and uh, i mean it, we haven't really felt the need to raise any money right now we we could it's not something that uh, that you don't want to do or you don't need uh but you know we didn't want to raise money for the sake of raising money or for uh, to gain some bragging rights um i think our whole point of view was we want to raise money uh more to get on board a strategic partner who would align with our vision for what we want to do with design what kind of problems we want to solve and complement our abilities and help us break into new markets or accelerate our sales growth um and whenever the right kind of partner comes along uh, we'd be more than happy to have that conversation but so far uh, we've been very happily independent and, uh, you know, there's a, I guess, uh, a very big relief in being in charge of your own destiny, which becomes but, you know, difficult when you have many stakeholders. Is it easy for to raise for a service business funding? Not now, but like in the... 
Yes and no. I would say, um, you know, if you if you if you're a service business in the right place at the right time, offering the right kind of value, uh, and if you've seen growth and uh, you know you have a standing in the market, yeah, I think uh, you know enough people would want to come and have those conversations. And we've had several conversations like that, uh, at least two or three conversations every year. But we've been very choosy that, and it's because, Ashish, uh, you know, we don't, we're not really desperate for raising the money. And so we can afford to be very picky about it. Uh, overall, I think, yeah, product businesses tend to attract uh, investment more easily because, I, you know, um, there's a obvious uh, kind of uh, notion that product businesses scale more. They don't have, uh, you know, high people costs that increase year on year. And for those reasons, yes, product businesses tend to be more lucrative for the investor community. But um, I think, uh, you know, if you have the right kind of service offering, uh, then I'm sure uh, enough people want to have that conversation. So in this uh, business, Aura, what is the most challenging aspect? Hmm. So, you know, Ashish, in, this, in any service business, the product is essentially people, right? So I would say there are two main challenges. Uh, one is to find uh, the right talent and uh, invest in them and train them and turn them into designers. I mean, India is still a market that doesn't churn out designers. Right. It's uh, there are few design colleges. Those graduates are, you know, when they do come out, they're not ready to to start doing high quality design work. So first, it's hard to find the right people. Then it's it's a lot of work to turn them into uh, designers that actually can deliver high quality work. So one challenge is on the talent side. The other challenge sometimes is. <coughs> You know, design is is a very um, complicated topic. And so there are a lot of misconceptions when it comes to dealing with design, right, and design expertise. So a lot of people sometimes will hire you or they will hire me and then um, have a lot of misconceptions around uh, specific design decisions. For example, they will, um, you know, want a specific kind of uh, color palette or they will want to render the interfaces in a certain way and they will think that those things don't matter uh, and they think design is just about preference or about common sense and so sometimes it becomes really hard to explain to my clients that uh, every pixel on a screen makes a difference it has an impact on business and so these decisions can't be made purely on personal preference. Uh, so that sometimes becomes a bit of a challenge. But I, I mean, on the flip side, I also think that is why there's an opportunity, right? Because when th there is misconception, there is chaos. And that specific chaos is what I'm trying to solve. And that's why I have a business. So, you know. I think I, I can. <laughs> I, I can correlate to this, Saurabh, because um, we were 
redoing our office. We were re- redoing our office and the color of the carpet and the interior. I was like, this is all same to me. <laughs> I have zero clue what you guys are saying. They're like option one, two, three, four. I like no clue. <laughs> all looks same. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. So there's a lot of science that goes behind every little design decision. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of best practice. And, uh, you know, my job often is to help people become aware that uh, design is not, first of all, just about putting paint on something, right? You know, one of the things that frustrates me most, the one single sentence that frustrates me most is, uh, UX is just about colors or buttons. I mean, that's that couldn't be further from the truth, right? And I think that kind of uh, shallow understanding of UX is sometimes uh, the biggest enemy of this field. So, yeah, I think we've come a long way, but there's a, still a long way to go to help people truly appreciate what is user experience design, how does it help, and what does it entail. But isn't it true like AI is coming after your jobs are making your life easier? Has it impacted your business in some way? So, you know, Ashish, I've obviously had a lot of time to think about this question over the last six months, ever since ChatGPT came on the scene and MidJourney came on the scene. And at the, you know, in the first month, I you could see there was a lot of fear in the design community, also in the coding community and in many other sectors. Uh, that fear slowly became kind of curiosity, right? And so we even, we at Zook started kind of really exploring the tools and seeing what is the output they can give us. And that curiosity then became awareness where you realized, okay, what is the level of output that, you know, AI tools can actually give you? And after that, it became kind of accepted. So where are we today with our understanding? I think... <clears throat> it's like this, right? If you take great football shoes, I'm going to give you a football analogy because I'm a sports guy. If you take the world's best football shoes and give it to an average football player, will he play like Ronaldo? He wouldn't, right? But if you take the world's best football shoes and give it to Ronaldo, yeah, he'll be even more amazing. So the the world's best football shoes in this case are AI tools. If you put AI tools in the hand of average designers, the output will still be average. But if you put AI tools in the hands of great designers, then you are actually enabling them to churn out even more powerful things. So instead of fearing AI, I feel it's a you know it's an awesome thing that allows designers to brainstorm faster, be more efficient, explore many more options much more quickly than before. And, uh, you know, it's kind of like what Photoshop did for us, you know, 20 years ago. Uh, It's same with AI. Does that make designers obsolete? Not yet, Um, because right now, I think as far as user experience design is concerned, um, any AI generative tool can't really give you a finished output. It can basically give you some conceptual input, which you can then use as a starting point, but it can't really deliver anything beyond that. 
So right now my job is safe. And I think for the next five years, I, you know, technology changes so fast. I can't think beyond five. But I think mm-hmm. for five years, I don't have to worry about it, you know, from an existential standpoint. Uh, I, I will definitely see that as a tool or a weapon in my armory that I can use to become even more effective. So go ahead, Ashish. Question, uh, what, what worries you sort of apart from technology in the coming five years? I think uh, one thing that any service uh, business owner will worry about is how do you scale, uh, you know, uh, especially when there is a talent challenge um, and when people costs keep going up and obviously every uh, area like this gets competitive. And so there's always a talent war out there. So you know, the challenge always is, okay, first, find the find great talent, second, retain them. Third, you know, uh, it's one thing to deliver um, the quality design and have a cohesive culture when you are a 50-people company. But will you be able to hold on to that essence when you are 150? And what changes will happen at that scale uh, will it dilute your excellence in any way? I think those things I tend to think about uh, because if you really look at design houses across the globe, design houses generally tend to remain small because of the nature of their work, right? You will never hear of a 10,000 people design company. Uh, you know, so they tend to be this small group of talented individuals uh, that come together to deliver uh, work in a very involved, collaborative way. So it's very hard to turn our work into some sort of a factory line output. And so it's very hard to scale it. Um, it's still very manual, still very, um, I would say, fluid. And so how do you take this business and make this I wouldn't even say five. How, how would you make this a five thousand people company? That's so. Do you ever wonder, sort of, to like to launch a product or something to scale, or yeah. is it? Yeah, we did, and that's exactly why in twenty twenty we launched a sister company um, and we kind of incubated this sustainability startup called Loopify, uh, and it was an e-commerce platform. And we've built so many e-commerce platforms for others. We thought, well, it's time we built our own. And obviously, we we wanted to have this twin engine service product kind of complement, which uh, because we knew that would be a much better way to go and scale. So, 2020, we launched Loopify. It's a zero plastic, um, all natural uh, gifting marketplace. And uh, we, over the last three years that it's existed, have sold over three lakh uh, zero plastic products to um, largely corporates. Right now, our main channel is B2B, but our goal is to help people live a more plastic-free life uh, because plastic is a huge problem in the world, not just our country. And so, yeah, that that exact question led us to Lupify. Why why not just do a product? Because we've, we have the skill set to make something, to design it, and so we did. And so it's... We run both those companies right now, and um, 
you know, it's really satisfying to see where Lupify has come in just three years. Is it as profitable, sort of, as the other company? Lupify, you know, um, as is an e-commerce business, I'm sure you know, Ashish, it's very hard to yeah. make money in e-commerce. But I'm happy to tell you that this year, this financial year, we're actually going to make a profit. We're going to be profitable this end of this financial year. So by March end, we will have made a little bit of money. Uh, but to be able to turn a profit within three years of an e-com startup is unheard of. And this is also something that is completely bootstrapped. Uh, um, I mean, obviously, Zooks was the first investor for Lupify. So we are very proud that we've reached this milestone. And um, of course, moving forward, uh, we want to really focus on building. You know, the, the interesting thing is this is a sustainability startup, right? But you also have to do business in sustainable ways. I, I've always felt that the startup ecosystem and the way it runs after VC money and valuations was never really focused on being sustainable, right? Or making prudent business choices. It was all about chasing a number, a valuation number, which was paper money at the end of the day. So our focus for both Zooks and Lopify has always been run businesses to focus on making real money. Uh, it's okay to be under the radar and not, uh, you know, uh, trying to make it to news articles bragging about how much money you've raised or what your valuation is, but to, you know, turn a real profit and to make sound financial decisions. Uh, and we don't believe in this whole blitz scale philosophy where the foundation is so weak that your blitz scale startup topples over eventually. And there are many examples of that today. Do you find it difficult to run two companies sort of now? Yeah, no, it is It is difficult. Um, however, uh, you know, the good news is they are perfectly complementary, right? So as a UX service provider, my job is to advise clients on how to build products, right? And you would know, Ashish, that a lot of great consulting companies consult people on how to build products and they've never built a product of their own. How do you consult with people and advise them on building products if you've never built one of your own, if you've never seen what it actually takes? So Lupify makes me a better consultant, right? And, uh, you know, Zooks uh, helps make Lupify better. So both kind of work for each other. So our design talent feeds into Lupify and our Lupify experience feeds into the advice we give to clients every day. Only after we started Lupify did I really feel humbled by how difficult it is to actually create a product. You know, before that, I used to advise clients and I used to be very critical of the product design decisions they would make. And I would be like, oh, you're not listening to me. But I realized the reality of some of the decisions that you have to make and what happens behind the scenes? Consultants always have this luxury of being at arm's length from something they recommend. But when you actually have to see that hit the ground and see the impact of it throughout the entire end-to-end -end of that product lifecycle, I think it's very, very humbling and definitely makes Zooks uh, even better at delivering outcomes.
because when we advise, we know what we're talking about because we've done it. Yeah. And one point just came to my mind, sort of, uh, you mentioned earlier, uh, KPI driven, you know, mm -hmm. uh, in terms of, so how do you do that? Because in software world, you can do A-B testing. You are like, yeah. if I change yeah. this button placement color, this much traffic is driven. So, but in your case, how does it work? So, yes. so Ashish, that's a great question. So I'll give you an example. So, you know, there was a startup that came to us about two years back, two, three years back, uh, White Hat Junior. Uh, you know, they were acquired by Biojuice later on, but they used to teach coding to kids, right? And one of the challenges was that, you know, they used to give a free trial class for people to try it out and then see if they like it. And then, so they had a very low percentage of people who would take the trial class and then actually buy the class. And so one of the challenges that we were given is, uh, the founder uh, said to me, Saurabh, I want to convert more people from the trial class. Okay, that was challenge number one. The second challenge was once they take a few classes, let's say four classes, after the four classes end, they should take four more or take 20 more, right? So they should actually, the number of classes they take and the number of, the amount of money they spend with us should increase. Now that's just this, I'm simplifying the challenge, but when we did the whole UX intervention and we applied all of our science and best practice, their revenue growth was eight times of what it was before our UX design, our new design went live. Eight times, which, which meant many, many more kids uh, signed up after the trial class and many more kids continued to take class after class after class because of the new experience we delivered. That's an example of how you deliver outcomes right so what are the reason for white junior crazy valuation <laughs> but i i think there are many things yes i our work definitely helped them get to the next level very fast but a lot of credit also goes to mr bajaj who was the founder and his uh you know enthusiasm for what he was building of course there were many other uh aspects of white hat junior which caused uh, you know a other kinds of news which uh, it was marketing related which i had nothing to do with but i think on the ux side we definitely had a great time uh seeing white hat junior uh you know get real benefit from doing user experience design did they pay you in um cash i mean or in equity performance pay? <laughs> So, you know, I've always uh, suggested to clients, uh, hey, uh, instead of doing a fixed kind of business uh, deal, let's do a performance-based deal, right? So, you know, I'm happy to put my neck on the line and stick my neck out and put my uh, money where my mouth is and say, you pay me based on what I deliver. And they're all excited to hear that most of them back out because they realize they're going to actually end up shelling out more money. But the point is, you know, and I think this is one of the hacks to running a great service business, that if you believe in the value you offer, don't be afraid to offer a performance-based model because that's when people realize, wow, this person really believes that they can deliver what they say they can. Um, so I wish I had done a performance-based model with Whitehead Jr., but no, he, he didn't do that.
Awesome, awesome. It was great to have you, Saurav. Any any uh, final words, thoughts to share with our listeners? Yeah. So, so Ashish, uh, you know, the world is going through three big transitions, right? There is the digital transition. There is the energy transition towards more sustainability, and then there is the geopolitical transition where powers like India are becoming the next big thing. And you know, Zooks and Lupify operate in two out of those three. So, you know, I just feel that uh, we are very privileged uh, to be able to ride those transitions and be in the thick of the action. And I'm excited to see what the next five year holds, um, because I think those five years are exciting for India and exciting for digital and sustainability. So I would love to have another conversation in a few years from now and uh, and see where we are. Awesome. Definitely. We will invite you again, Saurav. Thank you so much for your time and insightful you, conversation. Ashish. It's my pleasure.